It's go time. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border to Border, 1061 ESPN Matt Joseph's here on a Thursday here in the capital city, getting you set for Thursday night football tonight, whether it's the college of the pro variety. Uh, we've got the Packers and the Lions. The Lions, a two-point favorite tonight. 45 is the total for the game in Lambeau Field. Should be a fun one. Uh, Lions uh, playing pretty well. Uh, Packers coming off that very nice, impressive home comeback win over the Saints. Uh, I think Jordan Love is uh, improving as a quarterback. Still has a long way to go. Still not going to pronounce his career either way. I know that's what we're supposed to do in this industry is say, oh, he's going to be awesome or, oh, he's going to be terrible. Not doing either of those, but it was a very nice win for Jordan Love uh, last week. Uh, Also tonight, you've got three college football games on, and including, as we've talked about, the Sun Belt tonight. Uh, actually, no, excuse me. The Conference USA is taking center stage tonight because it's Middle Tennessee and Western Kentucky at 7.30, Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State at 8, a.k.a. the two new FCS schools that are in the FBS, and then Temple and Tulsa also at 7.30 tonight. So there are three college football games, and some of you are rolling your eyes. I can sense it. I've got a, a, an uncanny ability to sense these sort of things, and some of you are like, oh, that's not really college football. Western Kentucky is a really good offense. Austin Reed is a really good quarterback. If you like the Patriots and you like Bailey Zappi, he came out of this Western Kentucky system. So you want to watch that one at 730. Uh, I, I can't sell you on Temple Tulsa. Other than Temple's quarterback is Kurt Warner's son, EJ Warner. And then Jacksonville State, Sam Houston State is um, the equivalent of watching Wisconsin basketball in that the total for that game is 36 and a half. Jacksonville State's a seven-point favorite. That is Rich Rodge Bunch uh, against Casey Keeler's guys. Uh, Sam Houston State, I believe, has scored one touchdown against the FBS competition their last four games. So it's been a little bit of a rough start for Sam Houston State so far this season. That game is at 8 o'clock. Of course, there's baseball left. There's only about four, three or four games left, depending upon uh, your team. So uh, certainly there are some things still up in the air. But there's plenty of options tonight uh, when it comes to the athletics. And then if not, you can go and get to know your family or, you know, do you know, honey-do lists, whatever, because we're coming close to a college football Saturday, which features some intriguing matchups uh, both in and out of the state. We'll update you quick on the lines and get into today's topic, set the guests and all that good stuff. Uh, Virginia Tech still a two-and-a-half-point underdog, 39-and-a-half the total in that one. Virginia a three-and-a-half-point dog at Boston College, 53-and-a-half is the total there. Um, still looks like Tony Musket's going to start. We'll get to that in just just a second. JMU minus three against South Alabama. Total 49. And, um, yeah, those are our state schools. Liberty is off uh, this weekend. Those are the FBS lines. And then the FCS games, uh, William Mary, Elon, Hampton, and Richmond VMI is also in action as well as we head towards week five of the college football season. Pretty crazy that we're almost at the halfway point of the college football season, which is very disappointing, although it also means college basketball is on the way, which always uh, excites people, especially if your team's not very good. <clears throat> Charlottesville, <clears throat> Blacksburg. 
Uh, 3270-888, that is the phone number, that is the text line, 804 is the area code for that one if you want to get involved with the show. Uh, we'll take your phone calls, emails, texts, and tweets. We do have a couple guests today. Coming up at 315, Mike Barber, Time Dispatch, will join us. The versatile one will talk about uh, both the Hokies and the Hoos. We'll get his thoughts on um, both of them being underdogs this weekend and where both of these – programs are and if he's got any faith in either of them to turn things around so mike barb will join us at 315 and at 330 george wallace wtop will join us to do a little commander's eagles talk and a little commander's in general talk uh i still maintain my opinion that i think that the hiring of eric b enemy was not necessarily the best one and i think he is going to have to alter his play calling slightly uh, with the team that he has decided to join. I also think, on the other side, that the commanders probably hired him because they want to move him over to Ron Rivera's seat at the end of the offseason. And I don't think that was the right decision either because if he takes the offensive coordinator job elsewhere, he if you offer him a head coaching job, he'd leave because it's an upgrade. But we'll get his thoughts on my potentially wild theories uh, that I have. Uh, the commanders are about an eight, eight-and-a-half-point underdog uh, against the Eagles on Sunday. Uh, you know where I stand here. I think the Eagles win this game. I think the commanders cover only if they decide to use last year's blueprint, which they ran the ball and ran the ball and ran the ball. Uh, um, so I wanted to get into this. We, uh, and we'll talk about this with Mike Barber as well. We have a couple of, not necessarily quarterback controversies, but we have a couple of uh, situations in the state with both of the schools and the ACC. And you could almost say to some extent, to some small extent, I mean, the commanders have not pulled the trigger yet, but I guarantee you that there are some people in that organization who may be thinking about Jacoby Brissett. We talked about that. I don't think Jacoby Brissett's the answer. You take Sam Howell out, you are um, kind of dooming the season somewhat or dooming his progress. Now, if he comes and throws another four interceptions, throws some three interceptions, whatever it is, like, okay, we can start revisiting the conversation because maybe he's just not good. But I think you're attached to Sam Halve until this season is over, and even then I feel like you need to give him the whole year to decide whether or not you're going to draft a quarterback in the first round next year. You're probably not going to be high enough for Caleb Williams. You're probably not going to be high enough for Drake May. Um, Maybe... Bo Nix or somebody else like that, but you're kind of attached to Sam Howell until the end of the year, barring injury. In Virginia and Virginia Tech's cases, you kind of have different situations. You know where I stand on both of them, but I'm going to kind of reiterate things because, I, you know, obviously we have new listeners every day, and, and sometimes you may miss a segment or you may miss a show. To me, it's a huge mistake to start, Anthony, uh, to start Tony Musket on Saturday in Boston College. This is a winnable game for Virginia. Uh, obviously, they have to put aside all the mistakes they made against NC State, which was also a very winnable game. Um, pretty much every game this year, almost, not the um, Tennessee game, Virginia's had a chance to win in almost every game this season. You know, Maryland, they started fast, and they couldn't hold on. Uh, JMU, the weather delay, they didn't come out uh, and during the weather delay, and, and, and that was a problem. Um you look at some of the other ones, uh, obviously last week, the NC State game, they certainly could have, certainly should have won maybe in overtime if they had gotten to overtime, played a little defense, um, not use shotgun on fourth down. Um, and then, you know, you, you kind of sit there and you're like, well, okay, so we know this season's not going to lead to a bowl game for Virginia. We know, and I've talked about this with Tech, I think one of the, the largest parts of this season is to actually decide if Tony Elliott's a good head coach. 
And I think he's failing in, in the respect of putting out Tony Musket instead of Anthony Calandria. And I get the there's always the benefit, and I've talked to plenty of players who have said that four-game thing where you could preserve your red shirt but play in four games uh, for, four, for uh, one season, it, it has been a beneficial. I think it would be more beneficial to Calandria to play the whole season and to not be, um, you know, not have just played just the four games. Tony Musket doesn't do anything for this program. He obviously has some strengths. They saw something in him because they brought him over. But I just, you watch Calandria play on Friday night. He's got a great arm. He's got great mobility. His decision-making is just an issue, and that's something that you have to grow through. Look at what Troy Aikman did his rookie year in the NFL. Look at what, you know, I'm sure Peyton Manning had a terrible year early in his career throwing too many interceptions. You can't learn by sitting on the sideline and watching somebody else stink. Anthony Calandra can only learn by going out there and making the decisions and going through the motions. And so when you've got two games that you may be able to win next, and obviously I'm no offense to the Tribe fans, I know guys are listening, but it's an FCS game, you're at home, you're playing against a team that you are bigger than, you are stronger than, may not necessarily be faster than, but I mean, there are all the inherent advantages for the FBS team over the FCS team. But I think you're doing a disservice by starting the worst quarterback. I think you let Anthony Calandria make his mistakes. Unless this school is under, unless this coaching staff is under the false pretense that they're going to make a bowl game, they have to consider the future, and they have to consider that their future, I mean, look, if Calandria is good enough, you've got your quarterback for the next three years, four years possibly, if he stays all four years. And you have to uh, weigh the other part. If he plays these four games and he looks good and they don't put him back in there and another school looks at him and says, boy, you know, you looked really good. We would make you our starting quarterback right away. Then he transfers out potentially, and then where are you? Tony Musket's still not the answer. Anthony Calandria is the answer. So, and this is what college football is nowadays. You can't sit there unless the kid's in love with the school, unless he's got great scholarship and unless he's got all this stuff that makes him want to stay, you have to be cognizant of your future when you make these decisions. And if AC was AC 10, makes good decisions and plays well, and they still only play him four games, he's fair game to transfer elsewhere. I don't know that for sure. I'm merely going off of what college football is nowadays. There's the, there is no loyalty in college football. Very little loyalty. Very little. And quickly attack, I mean... Grant Wells is clearly not the answer. He played pretty well. Um, look, Tech's not pro- probably going anywhere. You could probably make the case that you can continue to play Wells and put drones in more for packages and series and things like that. But ultimately, I think Chiron Drones is your better answer. I just think he provides more to this offense than Grant Wells does. And I, I think Tech would be making a mistake if they go to Wells full-time and never use drones. I think drones has to get in there. And considering Pop Watson's come back, uh, he's back with the team, so his indefinite suspension was only a week. I mean, down the line, when we get to November, if things are a little dire, I'd like to see what Pop Watson can give me as well because you've got to start evaluating guys for next season. Uh, 327-0888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. I'm just a forward thinker. When when my season is not going to produce a bowl game, it's going to produce you know individual moments and, and growing experiences, then that's why I go with Calandria. That's why I go with Chiron Drones and potentially eventually Pop Watson if he shows enough in practice. 
because these seasons for Tech and UVA just aren't going to – I don't see either of them – listen, I think there's a chance they get – they'll probably get more than six wins combined. But, I mean, look, it's going to be a bit of a struggle to get there. So why not see what you have in the future, and then you can go out there and, and, and go scholarship shopping, to say the least. Let's take a timeout. We'll get Mike Barber's thoughts. Uh, Mike just wrote about the uh, quarterback conundrums here with the state schools. We'll get his thoughts on that and this weekend's matchups. Uh, George Wallace, WTOP, will talk commanders at 3.30. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN. For the Dallas Cowboys all season is 106.1 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and Go. One zero six one ESPN. Matt Josephs here. Uh, similar situation for our two state schools this weekend. Both about two and a half, three point underdogs. One hitting the road. One staying at home. We'll get into both situations with our next guest. You can see his stuff in the Times Dispatch and Richmond.com. Mike Barber. Mike, how's it going? Excellent. Thanks for having me. Mike, how's it going? Excellent. Thanks for having me. No problem, Mike. Um, all right, I'm going to go broad question first before we get into each individual situation. Which team do you have more faith could potentially turn things around, UVA or Tech? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I like Tech's defense better right now, but I feel better about UVA at the quarterback position. So I'm going to give a slight edge to UVA in that regard in terms of how they play. Uh, then when you look at the schedule, you know there's there's pitfalls really for both of them. So I guess I'm hemming and hawing to say that I don't have a lot of confidence in either of them right now. Uh, but I'll give a slight edge to, to Virginia uh, to play a little better because I think in Musket and Calandria they have two capable quarterbacks, and at Tech I think we still have two kind of question marks there. Well, let's start in Charlottesville. How correctable do you think were a lot of the mistakes that lost the game uh, against NC State in the fourth quarter? I mean, they're correctable in the sense that you know they're not they're not systemic breakdowns, right? They're people making a mistake in a moment. The problem is uh, this happened last year. Remember, they lost the game at Duke where they committed five 15-yard penalties. Now, some of those were pass interference, uh, but you know each individual item correctable, right? Calandria with the helmet, and honestly, if he's not doing the flex, my guess is the official doesn't notice that his helmet is off, and there's no flag there. Uh, you know, furnishes the one that's sort of the most indefensible, uh, the headbutt. But, you know, those two guys were going at it all game, and, and honestly, in the end, it didn't matter because they converted the two-point play. James Jackson, you know, you got to know that rule in terms of leaping over the long snapper to block a field goal, but if he doesn't block that kick, it probably goes through <laughs> based on most of the replays we've seen. So um, I think they're all correctable. I think the problem is you shouldn't be – that tight in all of these games, James Madison, NC State. I mean, there were opportunities earlier in the game to get some breathing room and some distance, uh, and they just didn't do it in either case. Is it more on the players or more on the coaching staff, you think? I mean, I think it's a combination, but but it's still more on the players, right? It's on an offensive line that just isn't good enough right now. And, and I hate to say that because they've gotten better each week, and, and they are light years ahead of where they were, but they're still not good, <laughs> right? You've got to get to good. Um, you know, defensively, I, I think that um, the coaches are doing a nice job. I think they're getting them in good positions. I thought last game they were really good at being aggressive on third down, uh, getting some pressure on Brendan Armstrong, and, and, and making third downs tough to convert. But 
Um, guys are still not getting home all the way on quarterback. Guys are still missing tackles when they're the right position. Um, I mean, I'm just seeing a team that, that just isn't all that good, but, but the effort's there and the ideas are there. Do you think it's a good idea to go back to Musket for this game this weekend, or would you continue to start Calandria? It's, that's a tough one. So Tony Elliott has said from the start, you don't lose your job to injury. I think it's tough to walk that back, number one. Number two, he said from the start that Tony Musket is the better quarterback that won the job in preseason camp. Um, and calandria has been pretty good, right? He's made big mistakes, though. I think six turnovers in the fourth quarters of games. And, um, you know, it's not like he's on his way to the Heisman and they're thinking about sitting him. You know, they haven't won a game and he's made some mistakes. He's been electrifying. He's made great He's made great plays kind of behind the line of scrimmage, all that kind of stuff. But um, if they believe Musket is better, this is a great time to go to him. You've got a pair of winnable games here at Boston College, home with William & Mary. If Musket comes in, I know the fans are going to be mad, but if they start Musket and they win these two games, I think people are going to kind of shut up real quick. Obviously the coaching staff hasn't said this, and maybe they don't know yet, but do you think this is a situation where they're just going to try and play Calandria four games to pres- preserve his red shirt, or do you think if they ultimately believe he's better mm-hmm. in the end, then he will go over that four games? Yeah, I'd be stunned if they can preserve his red shirt. Um, I mean, he, he really is the only backup option. I, I understand they have other guys there in Brosterhouse and, and Raymond, but um, you know, if, if Tony Musket's helmet comes off and he has to come off for a play, uh, I think they're going right back to Calandria. I don't think they're worried about preserving the red shirt right now. I, I think they're worried about trying to find a way to win games. Uh, who knows? You know, if Muskie comes out, takes every snap the next two weeks, and they win, maybe they have a talk with Calandria. And if he'd prefer to be shut down, maybe they consider that. If, if you know, but who knows at that position? But I, I think the plan right now is to have both of them available. Uh, and certainly to keep giving Calandria, I think, a look when possible because this experience is going to only help develop him. So they head to Chestnut Hill for the awesome 2 o'clock game on the, the CW Network here. Uh, uh, what do you think of the matchup? And, and, you know, obviously Boston College coming off a tough loss, but they may have found their quarterback. What do you think of this game on Saturday? Yeah, it's intriguing because of that quarterback change. I and mean, in Castellanos and what he's been able to do, he's elevated that offense. Uh, defensively, they're still a mess. I think Louisville scored on their first six or seven possessions of that game. Uh, Florida State had a pretty big lead, uh, and I think lost a little interest as Boston College kind of was able to get back into that game. Uh, I think this is, a again, goes back to what you asked me about Musket. I think it's a great opportunity for Virginia's offense to get in gear. Now, what will the defense be able to do? Uh, I thought the defense played its best game against Armstrong and NC State. If they're aggressive and can rattle Castellanos, if they can get uh, some turnovers, which they actually got last game. Uh, you know, maybe everything is trending in the right direction, uh, or at least could be for a week or two while the the schedule eases up. Um, I think Boston College's problems on defense are going to be the difference in this one, but uh, there, there's really no outcome uh, that you could tell me Saturday that would stun me. Uh, follow him on Twitter at RTD underscore Mike Barber. Check him out on the Times Dispatch and Richmond.com. Let's head over to Blacksburg for a 8 o'clock game, uh, Virginia Tech and Pittsburgh. Uh, you've touched on this one as well. What would you do with the quarterbacks here? So this is a little bit different, and I say that because I think Drones and Wells have very different skill sets. And if you remember going into the year, the talk was, 
hey, whatever, whatever we decide, we're going to play both of these kids. I would stick with that model if I'm Virginia Tech. Uh, you're not running the football well traditionally out of the running back position, uh, and Drones is giving you that ground game that I think you need. But Wells was throwing it well before he got injured. Uh, you know, Brent Price said that the Old Dominion game was Grant Wells' best game in a Virginia Tech uniform. Obviously, they fell behind to Purdue, but he led them all the way back 17-17 before getting hurt there. So I think Grant Wells has done some good things, and I think the desire is to get him back out there and get him back behind center. But I wouldn't go away from Drones entirely, which is what they did in the Purdue game, if you remember. Uh, Drones didn't get a drive until the very final possession with the game on the line. Uh, I would go, you know, into, and I don't know how you do it, if it's two in series and one or um, you bring them in in the second quarter, but I would get drones out there and see if there isn't room to run uh, and gain some yards that way. I think Virginia Tech is in a better position to play both kids, where I think Virginia needs to make a choice and kind of ride that guy. Which do you think is more disturbing, the fact that they can't run or the fact they can't stop the run? <laughs> They're both really bad, right? Um, I think it's more disturbing to me the struggle stopping the run because I thought they were going to be excellent defensively. I mean, I thought they were going to be like a top-six defense in the ACC and a terrible offense, and it was going to be you know, kind of shades of the last few Beamer years of can the defense carry you to six wins. And the fact that the defense hasn't been able to stop people um, has really kind of jarred my expectations for this team. You know, I had this as a six-win potentially team, a team that could maybe get to a bowl and the way they're defending right now, that's just not the case. The run game offensively is disappointing just because we heard excitement about where it was headed. Uh, Cade Moore going to center. The offensive line was supposed to be better. Malachi Thomas healthy at running back. Bashal Tootin and his big playability. And I think Thomas and Tootin have been fine. Uh, but the offensive line has not given them holes, not given them room to run. Uh, you know, they got a little something going, I thought, last week. And Brent Pry addressed this Monday or Tuesday on his teleconference when he said, you know, we got away from the run a little too quickly. Uh, sometimes part of running the football uh, in college football is banging your head against that wall and, until it knocks down. And they were having some success, and I think Brent looked back and thought, hey, if we had stuck to it, we would have broken through there. Because I do think they have good backs. Uh, but both, I guess to answer your question, both are pretty disappointing. But the defensive shortcoming is what changes my outlook for this team. How about Ollie Jennings? What's his status potentially? Yeah, closer, but we're still not sure, you know, when he'll be back or if he'll be back. And, and that's huge, right? His arrival is what really transformed this offense. And certainly all three transfer wide receivers, and I mentioned Tootin and uh, Drones running the ball. But this became a different offense, I think, in large part because of Ali Jennings, because of uh, how defenses have to account for him, for his abilities to make plays downfield, for his abilities to make plays when, quite frankly, he's fairly well covered. Uh, he's a guy who can win one-on-one matchups getting open, but he can also win one-on-one matchups once the ball's in the air. And I think taking him out has really relegated this offense back to kind of how it looked last year, which, quite frankly, wasn't very good. Uh, so what do you think for this one? Uh, obviously, we had high expectations for Pittsburgh, but they've got horrendous quarterback play. The defense hasn't been great, um, yet they're still a road favorite in this one. Yeah, I think Virginia Tech wins this game. Uh, I was surprised to see Pitt favorite. And Pitt was one of those teams going into the year. I said Pittsburgh, Louisville, and Syracuse are three teams that I can't get a good feel on. They could be great. They could be terrible. And I think Syracuse and Louisville look pretty good. Pittsburgh is a mess. Uh, Dracovic has not been good at quarterback. Uh, They haven't really been able to get anything going on that side of the ball. And defensively, they've been terrible. This feels like a moment 
of Virginia Tech to get things right. Playing at home is going to be a great crowd, night atmosphere at Lane Stadium. I think Virginia Tech wins a close game. I'm not saying it's going to be a walkover, but um, I think Tech wins this by two or three. I, I think the spread's right. I think it's just on the wrong team. Last one for you. Are you a Duke believer? Obviously, being a believer in that team doesn't mean they're necessarily going to win on Saturday, but what do you think of Duke's chances against Notre Dame? I'm glad you clarified that because, yes, I'm a Duke believer. Yes, Duke is for real. It's a really good football team and a really good program that Mike Elko is establishing. That being said, I don't like them in this game. I think Notre Dame's uh, individual one-on-one talent, there's, there's going to be some things. That are, I think Notre Dame is going to be extremely motivated uh, after the way last week went. Um, but Duke is not going to be outclassed in this game. I, I think it's going to be a potentially a good game. I think Notre Dame is still you know, the better team. But uh, that's not going to take away from, from Duke and what they've done. I mean, that win over Clemson, I think they've now backed it up with the way they've played since then for us to all say Duke is legit, Duke is a good team, and I'm not talking six wins good. I'm talking, you know, eight, maybe more. Um, does that mean they beat Notre Dame Saturday? Probably not. Uh, but certainly I don't expect them to be blown out of the water. Make sure to check him out on the, on Twitter at RTD underscore Mike Barber and check him out in the Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, yes, uh, Duke, a five-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, there is now a six at the South Point in Las Vegas, but uh, they are an underdog at 7.30 as college game day heads to Durham for football. Uh, so that's what we've got coming up on Saturday. All right, coming up on Sunday, Commanders and Eagles. We'll get the thoughts of George Wallace, WTOP, about uh, the Commanders and where they sit right now at 2-1. and one. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. This weekend, the Spiders play host to in-state foe Hampton from the 757. Catch all the action beginning Saturday afternoon at 1.30 here on 1061 ESPN. Your home of the Richmond Spiders in the capital city. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN at Joseph's here. Uh, Commanders and Eagles coming up on Sunday, round one. A couple weeks later, round two will occur down in D.C. Uh, should be interesting. Josh Harris, will he be at the game? Will he be in the commander's box? Will he just have all the Sixers watching the game on the commander's side? One of the many questions uh, that we have for this one coming up on Sunday. Joining us now, George Wallace of WTOP. George, what's going on? Hey, Matt. How are you? By the way, that forget about the game. That's going to be the fun part. And then Phil, the Sixers have media day the following day in Philly. So it's a big weekend for Josh Harris. Yes, it is. Although I feel like Josh <laughs> Harris is only talking commanders here. Like I feel like he's only focusing on the commanders and kind of ignoring the Devils and the and the Sixers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now he knows it's been a it's been a whirlwind for him. It's been fun to kind of be around him a little bit and kind of hear him uh, how he has so many sleepless nights and he's getting calls at midnight about you know leak leaks in the stadium and trying to fix traffic and things like that. And he knows that he said he's going to be basically judged for uh, and remembered for what he does with with the commanders because this is his hometown and this is what he's putting a lot into right now and this is uh what his focus is at the moment but yeah i just you just can't imagine being an owner for three teams like this and at this time of year they're all overlapping so you kind of have to be with everybody but yeah his focus right now to your point is basically all football all the time is it right now so the highs of the first two games, how shocking was the la- the last game with all the lows that happened for this team? I mean, I, th- I was pretty I was pretty shocked to be honest, Matt, that they did, that they played. I thought that they would take the next step, and I didn't think they'd win the game to be honest. But I thought that they would prove that they could be in a game with a Buffalo 
look, this is year four of Ron Rivera. And yeah, this is a measuring stick game for him. And that's, you know, you, you come out and perform like that, that shows you got a long way to go. So I was shocked that they so poorly. And not only maybe the, the offensive line, we know that they've had the issues, but for me, the defense was a big uh, question mark and concern for the way they played on Sunday. And hopefully, uh, look, it doesn't get any easier with Allen last week, and then he got hurt to DeAndre Swift this week. So the defense is going to have to bounce back. Because, look, as, as you and I both know, the defense, especially early in this season, is going to have to carry games. And as this offense is coming into its own and continuing to evolve, so in a game against a team like Buffalo, even this week, the defense has to show up. How many of Sam Howell's interceptions do you blame on him last week? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd put them all on him, really. I mean, he basically said it for uh, two. I mean, well, look, the last play, the last of the, the pick six was just a, a tremendous athletic play. But those, in that situation, too, get rid of the ball. So, um, you know, he knows that he's holding on to the ball too long, and he knows he has to make quicker decisions and better decisions. And he knows, he said, that, that what we saw last week is not the kind of player he is. So hopefully he can get rid of those things quickly. One thing I will say, and and I know a lot of people have said it too already, Sam Howell, you can tell, and players have kind of told us too, no matter what happens on the field, he's already moved on. He's done with it. He doesn't reflect on it. He doesn't let let it linger. He is a guy that is proven to, at least early on here, that if he makes a mistake, it's quickly on to the next play, and you have to forget about it. So he's going to have to flush this pass game, learn from it, and move on against Philadelphia. What do you think of the run-pass ratio that this team currently has? Yeah, I'd like to see him run the ball more, especially if Hal's getting, uh, uh, you know, attacked pretty much back there. And with nine, I mean, nine sacks, it just, I mean, you're on pace for over 100 sacks. You can't do that. Uh, I'd like to see the ball in Brian Robinson's hand more. I mean, he's a breakout kind of guy. He kind of alluded to it after the game a little bit, saying that he'd like the offensive line or he'd like to run the ball more and, you know, offensive line do more and the quarterback do more. But you can tell he's... I think he's getting frustrated a little bit. Got under 50 carries so far this year, a couple of touchdowns, just over 200 yards. So I think that I'd like to see it a little bit different, especially I think they could have done a little more in the first half last week. Just if anything, to try and sustain drives, keep Buffalo off the field. I'd like to see him do it this week if they can against Philadelphia because he's a he's a top-notch running back. I mean, look, last year we didn't see Brian Robinson at his full strength after the shooting. So I think he's at full strength now, and I think that they should just kind of Turn him loose and see what he can do. You have to get the ball out of Hal's hands, especially if he's taking all these sacks. You got to get it. You know, we talk a lot about the screen game up here and get it in your playmaker's hands and let him create. I like to see the same thing with Brian Robinson. Do we think Eric Bieniemy is capable of doing that, or is he still trying to put the Kansas City Chiefs offense that you can run with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey in place in D.C., where he doesn't have those kind of guys? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that he's still, and he he literally told us today that he's still still figuring each other out. I mean, yeah, it's only it's only three weeks in, so he's still kind of figuring out what he has to work with rather than, you know, doing what he wants to do. But if he necessarily can't do it, to your point, because he doesn't have a Patrick Mahomes or a Travis Kelsey, so he kind of has to adapt. I think he can, yes. I think I've, I've seen the – I've liked what I saw the first couple of weeks, especially down – 21-3 to Denver, kind of didn't really go away from anything, kind of stuck with it and mixed some things up and put some guys in space and uh, got creative there. So, yes, I think he is capable of doing it. I also think that he's still learning what he's got on offense because he's got some playmakers. He's got to put them in right positions to make plays. 
And the irony is you're playing the team last year in Philadelphia. You won the game by running the ball, I think it was 40, yeah. 45 times. And yeah. I think that's how you kind of shorten this game. And, and I'm concerned that they're going to try and make this a shootout, and that's just not going to work out. I agree. You can't you can't get a shootout with Philadelphia. You have to control the line of scrimmage. I know some. I know it's boring, but you you got to do it. So what? Like we said last year, it was definitely over forty times they were able to run the ball, keep Philadelphia off the field, same drive, score touchdowns. I mean, that's the you know that's the formula. Because look, right now Philadelphia is looking at shots after seeing what Buffalo did, what that defensive line did to Sam Howell. You know they're going to come after him like crazy on Sunday. So uh, Eric Bannon is going to have to counter that, and hopefully they'll keep it on the ground a little more. How would you grade Emmanuel Forbes so far this season? Yeah, it's, he's he's been he, he's been up and down. I think I think uh, you know you can definitely see the quickness. You can definitely see the hands, especially those first couple of weeks. Um, but even Jack Del Rio, you know, is basically saying today it's a long season, and you know he's gonna he's he's a football player, and he's gonna have his ups and downs, and he's still a rookie. He's only played three games, so I like what I've seen, and I know that uh, you know lots are made of his size, but. He's quick, and he, he. I think he anticipates really well, and I think you're just going to see him get better and better as the weeks go on for sure, especially with all the opportunities he's getting. Which part of the defense do you think let them down the most against against Buffalo last week? Um, you know, they. Fine to be honest, I mean, you know, it they, they couldn't really contain Allen. They got to him; they were close a couple of times. But as Jonathan Allen said this week, you got to finish those plays. you got to get them on the ground. And they weren't able to do that. So I, I, and I gave Allen some more time. And, you know, Stephon Diggs found some holes in that secondary, which he does. I mean, the guy's a great player, so you kind of you knew that was coming. But up front, I would like to have seen the line. Because, look, that's the strength of his team, right? We've seen it the first couple of weeks. And you got to get to the quarterback, and you got to make sure you put him down. That's what they're going to have to do this week with, with uh, Jalen Hurts as well. Everybody's got to be on the same page up front when you're rushing the football or trying to contain – Swift or uh, Jalen Hurts. So what is another matchup that maybe you're looking at for this game on Sunday that might tip the scales in either direction? I think right now, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, um, Philly's defensive line is very good. We know that. If the Washington offensive line, I mean, I think it's, honestly, I think it's between both lines on both sides of the ball. So Philly's defensive line is very good. Their offensive line is very good, but Washington's defense, should be able to disrupt that if they play to their capability and make things uncomfortable for Jalen Hurts, and then you're going to have to have your back end cover. But on Washington's side, you're going to have to keep Sam Howell upright. You can't, you cannot take another nine sacks, and hopefully that means you know Eric Bieniemy is is working this week to try and to get creative. But I think it's going to be a line of scrimmage type of game on both sides if I'm looking at it. Can this team sustain the momentum they have the first couple weeks off the field? Obviously, they've had a couple sellouts. There was, there's all this enthusiasm, all this emotion. Then they lose to the Bills. If they kind of you know, lose to the Eagles in blowout fashion, does the momentum kind of fade a little bit? Or do you think because of the new ownership group, they're going to keep it all year at least? Yeah, I think, I think the number one thing this year is that Dan Snyder is gone. So I don't think that can be overlooked, to be honest. Yeah, you know. You get blown out this week, then I think you do have some serious problems because, again, like I said before, you're in year four of this program in a situation where you shouldn't be getting blown out, especially division games and, you know, a game at home like last week, uh, if you really want to take that next step, which we heard, you know, all of last year being year three. So this is for sure. But for me, it's, yes, you want to see wins on the field, but the main thing you can still say 
from now and forever is that Dan is gone. So I think that is still going to be, at least for this year, the honeymoon. Because here's the other thing that I think everybody's going to watch. I mean, to be honest, I still think there are going to be a lot of changes in the offseason. So that's going to be fun to watch, too. So the thing is that these new guys are in here, and they're going to put their stamp on it. They're still evaluating. The momentum has been high the first couple of weeks, no doubt about it, or since July, since Josh Harris' group took over. And I think you're going to continue to see that. Now, if you keep getting blown out in games, that will diminish a little bit. But if you can be entertaining, if you can be in football games throughout the year, then I still think you're going to have the momentum again because the number one reason you had the momentum is still still there. Like, he's, you know, that you have a new owner. Let me wrap up here, and we're wrapping up here with George Wallace, WTOP. My theory is they hired Eric Bieniemy to make it easier for him to move over one seat because they figured that Ron Rivera was going to go this offseason. Do you think, unless this offense is a complete disaster, that Eric Bieniemy is one of the front runners? should they fire Ron Rivera? Yeah, I think it's all still up in the air, but yes, to your point, that was my immediate thought as well, and I think Ron Rivera knows that as well. I mean, Ron's going into the last year's deal next year. A lot of things up for grabs. So, yes, barring the offense, going completely in the tank, then yes, you have to be able to... I, I would say Eric Bieniemy is an option, and I think that is one of the reasons Ron brought him here, to be honest. Um, uh, you know, and then to work with Sam Howell and develop him. Uh, but again, that could all change if they go, we have five wins and you're not scoring 15, 16, 17 points a game. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to find their rhythm and kind of get rolling here. But I do think that that is all part of what could be an option next year, barring a complete, uh, a complete disaster, a complete you know, uh, going in the tank for the rest of the year, which I don't think is going to happen. When you're up in the Washington, D.C. area, check out WTOP and uh, thank our friend George Wells for always giving giving us some time. George, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Always love coming on. Anytime. All right. Uh, that is uh, George Wallace, WTOP, at G Wallace, WTOP on Twitter. And uh, I want that tape marked to uh, AJ. He agreed with me. He thinks that uh, – it's just this is, this is me once again thinking that the commanders went a little over the top because if you were – and I've said this all along – I think the commanders were concerned that this might have been or the next one might have been the hiring cycle that finally got Eric Bieniemy hired as a head coach. And I think they said, well, we can't let that happen. We want him to be our head coach because we know for the most part, unless we go 12 and 5, you know, 13 and 4, we're going to fire Ron Rivera. So why not make it easier for Eric to be around the program for the first year, be the offensive coordinator, show us what he can do, and then when Ron goes, we say, hey, Eric, why don't you just take a step over and become the head coach? Now, the only thing, the fly in the ointment would be is if this offense is bad and he is the reason why and we get more stories about the players complaining and things like that, but... I just think they didn't have to do it. I think they could have just gone with a different offensive coordinator and just hired Eric Bieniemy next hiring cycle. Because if he hadn't been, uh, if he hadn't been hired so far, I just I don't think anybody else would have hired him. What do you think, AJ? I've been with you since the beginning. I said that uh, before the season even started. Not exactly that, but I I thought they were bringing him in to turn over the coach to him. 
Yeah, I, I just think, and I think, and this is the other slight part, I think they almost brought in a guy whose offense wouldn't fit the personnel to try and make everybody mad at Ron Rivera because they couldn't be mad at Eric Bieniemy. He's the he's the, the jewel of all the offensive coordinators that were available. He's the guy that was supposed to be one of the best offensive coordinators in football, so you can't be mad at him if the offense is not working. Oh, let's be mad at Ron Rivera to make things easier when we actually do fire Ron Rivera, even though most of the fan base is probably already ready to move on from Ron Rivera. I will say and, I expect him to I mean, adapt to the team that he has adopted as an offensive coordinator a little better than this. Right. And this is all, I mean, look, they're 2-1. and one. They could win Sunday in Philadelphia and become 3-1, and one, and all this doesn't matter. And all, all this stuff that I'm saying is complete terrible and awful, and I'll come on Monday and be like, look, the offense looked great this week. I'm wrong. Everything I've said is wrong. But, I mean, if they fall to 2-2, two and two, Losing their two games against the two legitimate opponents that they've faced so far, because let's be honest, they didn't score 70 on Denver, and they barely beat Arizona. And now Arizona's quitting themselves well, and obviously, but like Arizona's going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Then that kind of puts pressure on Thursday night when the, when the commanders host the Bears, because the Bears may actually be the worst team in the league. So, look, you know, they need to get a one win in these next two. Yeah, but um, the Eagles it would look are one of the best. They're one of the best teams. I don't think this means anything. I mean, listen, you're probably right, and I appreciate you saying that because I agree. They are one of the best. But I think if if people want to say the commanders take – I think fans are tired of the commanders being an 8-8 eight, – an eight, not an 8-8, eight 8-9, eight, eight 9-8, you know, 10-7 type team. They want the commanders to take the next step and be a, a double-digit win team. And losing to the Bills and losing to the Eagles, especially if they're blowouts, just kind of says, oh, well, we're going to skate in. We're going to get a wild card. We're probably going to lose in the first round if we're lucky, you know, so on and so forth. It's bad, but it's not over. I don't I don't want to hear it's over after this game. I expect them to no, lose no, no. to the Eagles. No, no, no. I, I agree. This It's not over. I'm just saying that you have to – they would have to calm expectations. And then the Bears game becomes a must win because if you go and lose two games in five days and then we and the media have 10 days to discuss these losses, this was the time, and we'll break in just a second, this was the time after the Bears game on Thursday that I said if you're going to fire Ron Rivera in season, which I don't think they will, if you're going to fire him, it would be October 6th after the Bears game. It would be that Friday because you would have nine days to prepare for the Falcons and you could kind of refresh things a little bit. I don't think it's going to happen. But let's say they look bad against the Eagles and somehow lose to the Bears. That would be the time because they're not going to fire them after the bye week. The bye week has, I think it's like four weeks left in the season. So that's the other reason why the pressure would get ratcheted up for that game on Thursday night. But we'll see. I mean, this is this is kind of what happened. I mean, look, I thought the Commanders were going to be a playoff contender uh, before the season began. I still think they're going to be a playoff contender. If they lose on Sunday to the Eagles and their two losses – or to the Eagles and the Bills, all it shows me is they're not ready to take the next step. That's all. But I think then that becomes they better beat the Bears. With 10 days, I would like to think they can win in Atlanta. And then with another seven days, I'd like to think they could win in New York. We'll see what the status is of Saquon Barkley. And then you've got the Eagles and the Patriots those next two games. So, um, look, look good. Lose a competitive game in Philadelphia, then we could change our outlook. But get blown out in Philadelphia once again, then we'll see if the new ownership thing is still going to give people the momentum that we've seen so far. New ownership can only take you so far. Josh Harris can only do so many things 
Maybe forget Daniel Snyder. But if the team on the field is still the same old team, eventually it's going to rub off, and then FedEx Field's going to start feeling like an Eagles home game or a Patriots home game or a Giants home game, whatever it is. So winning, it's great that they have new ownership, and that's going to keep going, but um, they've got to continue to win in order to keep that momentum. Uh, let's take a timeout. We'll do one final segment, get you set for the show tomorrow. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. The Braves have officially clinched a sixth straight NL East crown. Up next, the postseason. And we will have it here on your home for the Atlanta Braves. 1061 ESPN Richmond. Welcome back. Couple minutes left in the show. If you ever miss an interview, check out our website, ESPNRichmond.com, and uh, you can find all of our interviews there, whether it's mine, Bob's, Al's, whatever. You can find them all there on ESPNRichmond.com. Uh, I'll tell you this: I um, look. There's the, this weekend. TV will uh, be dominated by NFL and, and college football, but I'll tell you this: uh, really glad, and I, obviously I didn't notice this till now. Really glad the Ryder Cup is mostly in the morning. Uh, if you look, the Ryder Cup starts tomorrow, and it's 1.30 a.m. to noon on USA. It is 1.30 to 3 a.m. Saturday on USA, and then 3 to noon on NBC. And then Sunday, it's 5.30 a.m. to 1 on NBC. And I've always said on this show, I am a – I mean, first off, I'm a Tiger guy, and obviously he has not been around, so I, I haven't watched as much. I will watch an event when Tiger's in the mix and, and coming down the stretch – um, but I also love the Ryder Cup. I am a huge fan of the Ryder Cup, so I will certainly be checking it out. And I'm glad it's in the morning because then I can watch that in the morning and I can watch the football in the afternoon and the evening and kind of let it dominate my uh, my sports calendar. So uh, we may get into a little Ryder Cup tomorrow. Uh, always a fun time. when And you slap that United States on a sporting event and chances are I'll probably watch it. Uh, thanks to our guest today, uh, Mike Barber, Time Dispatch, at RTD underscore Mike Barber. Check his stuff out. Uh, doing a great job covering the Hokies and the Who's. And George Wallace, WTOP, at G Wallace, WTOP on Twitter, talking a little Commanders and Eagles. Tomorrow we will have Tim Murray on the show, so we'll get his thoughts on where to put our money down for the football slate coming up this weekend. And we'll have some other stuff as we take you into the weekend as well. Thanks to AJ back at the studio for all his hard work. Uh, Bob Black and the Sports Huddle coming up next from 4 until 6. I'm back tomorrow, 3 to 4, 1061 ESPN. The heat of summer means 